Luke chapter 6 today, we're going to take just maybe a week, kind of a little detour from First Peter, and uh, I just want to go over some of the things that uh, Jesus says in Luke chapter 6. And uh, as you turn there, Luke chapter 6, starting, we're going to be starting in verse 43, but uh, what Jesus is doing here is... Uh, uh, He's talking uh, about all of these things that uh, believers should avoid doing or, or what their lives should look like. And, and he goes through some specific things. And in verse 27, he says, But I tell you, who hear me, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one tree, turn, turn to him the other. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. So he's talking about, uh, in that moment, he goes on, he's talking about uh, all of these ways that we're supposed to love people that doesn't come natural to us. If somebody hits you, turn them the other cheek. If somebody takes something that, you, that is yours, uh, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Uh, so he's going through all these things that are so contrary to the ways that we naturally live as humans. And he goes on, in verse 37, he's talking about judging. He says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Given it will be given to you. Uh, so again, these things he's laying out do not come naturally to us as humans. Uh, you know, think about that. The, the depth of what he's saying there, just, just those few words. He says, forgive and you will be forgiven. That implies if we don't forgive, what? We're not going to be forgiven. Uh, Again, sometimes I think we, we have a way of overcomplicating the Word of God. That is a very simple statement. You don't have to be, again, you don't have to be a scholar to understand those words. Forgive and you will be forgiven. If you offer forgiveness to other people, you're going to be forgiven by God. If you don't, that's a dangerous place to be at best. Uh, but he's going through all these things, loving your enemies, not judging people, uh, extending love to people, and all these things, and... Uh, I think he kind of ties it together here in verse 43 through 45. And he says, uh, in the end of all these things, look, you're supposed to love people. You're supposed to forgive people. If they try to take your tunic, don't stop them. Uh, all of these things he's laying out. And then verse 43, he says, this is, this is how this all kind of ties together. This is the, the uh, essence of what I'm saying here. And he says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good that is stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. So understanding that, then looking back to that place where he's talking about loving your enemies and, and not judging people and uh, judging others and forgiving and you will be forgiven... What we're saying then is the, the uh, depths of my soul, my heart determines my actions. All of the things that flow out of me, if I'm, I'm able to forgive people because of what Christ is doing in me, because he has transformed me to be a tree that would reflect, reflect his truth. Uh, and we'll talk about that more in, the mo in a moment. But what we're saying is there are different avenues we can kind of go on as humans in order to either reflect the fruit of Christ or reflect uh, the fruit of ourselves, which would be uh, a bad tree. 
uh, bad fruit. Uh, but I want to kind of break that apart today. As I was as I was uh, studying this, uh, this is something I talked about a couple of years ago at Brookville. But it was, uh, you know, it was, this was for me one of those passages where I had read it multiple times in the past, and one day you kind of read it, and it just kind of comes alive to you. And thinking about how we bring good things out of the good we store up within ourselves. And we bring evil out of the evil things that are stored up within ourselves. That implies some sort of action on my part. The things that come out of me uh, are based on the things that I choose to set before myself. The things I allow to uh, come into my mind or the things I allow myself to take a part in. Everything about that affects my actions and the words that come out of my mouth. Uh, so that's what we're going to talk about uh, in these moments today. Uh, again, verse 43 says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. Uh, so the first thing that we have to understand from this is seems like an elementary concept, but the fruit of any tree is consistent with the nature of the tree meaning the things that come out of my life, the things that overflow out of my mouth or my actions are consistent with what is in my heart. Uh, We can't deceive ourselves into thinking uh, that we are something that we are not. I think that is very prevalent today. We have a way of twisting things and allowing ourselves to believe that things aren't necessarily as bad within our souls as they actually are. Uh, But we see... Um, he's talking in this passage about good trees. He's talking about bad trees. And I was thinking about that. And, uh, uh, you know, the first thing that I thought of is when I went to college in Florida and um, in Lake Wales, Florida. So you're you're driving uh, basically anywhere off the main highways. You're driving through uh, orange groves and just miles and miles of these orange trees and thinking about all of the kind of trees that we get good things from, right? Orange trees are good. Uh, you think even about uh, apple trees, and we get apple pie. That's all we need to know. That's good enough, right? We get apple pie from apple trees. Uh, so we have all of these trees that we can uh, uh, get good things from. There, there are trees that, uh, uh, you know, if it's, if it's raining, it starts to storm. We've, we've seen this in the Dominican Republic. Storms can blow up very quickly, so... Storms blow up and you're going to get soaked. So what does everybody do? If there's not a little house to run into, they run front to get under the trees uh, so they can take shelter. So we get, uh, uh, we get uh, uh, nutrients, we get food from trees sometimes, we get shelter from trees. Uh, so all of these things we can get from trees. But then uh, as I was looking into those things, uh, I found, I came across this tree called a, uh, a manchineel tree. Has anybody ever heard of that? A manchineel tree. So it is a tree that's uh, in the, the Caribbean uh, areas in uh, South America. And there, there are some in, in a few places in Florida, but uh, not many. But So it's a, it's a tree that, uh, if you look at it, if you looked it up uh, and found a picture of it, it's a beautiful tree. It looks, it looks amazing. It has little apples on it. Uh, but it's one of the most poisonous trees in existence. And uh, uh, there's stories even of, uh, you know, back in the days where, uh, you know, people were coming from Europe to to uh, explore and all those things. They would come up on the beach and people would eat that fruit thinking it, it looked good. Uh, and actually eating it can even uh, bring you to the point of death. So... Uh, 
There's a contrast here, though, in understanding that uh, in our world we have these trees that produce good fruit, and we also have these trees that look amazing, yet they produce bad fruit that is detrimental to human existence. But these manchineal trees, you, you, they are so toxic that you can't even stand under them during rain while it's raining because the rain will come down and it will pick up, pick up the toxins off the leaves and it will fall on you and it will start forming blisters and, and lesions and uh, it will burn your eyes. If you inhale the fumes, you can't burn the tree because if you inhale it, it will burn your lungs. Uh, so it's a very, very toxic tree. And what I'm saying in that is Sometimes we have to understand uh, the nature of the fruit is consistent with the nature of the tree. Now, it doesn't necessarily matter what the fruit looks like. The, if you look at the apples on the manchineal tree, they look perfectly fine. But if you, if you take a bite of it, it is consistent with the nature of the tree. You don't have a tree that is toxic and then an apple on that tree that you can eat. Uh, the nature of the fruit is consistent with the tree. So what I'm saying is that there are times where we have people in this world that they, they do a good job of presenting themselves well. They do a good job of presenting themselves as that manchineal tree where you look on and think that's a tree that would be good cover when it rains. That's a tree that has some apples on it. And if we're pretty hungry, we could eat that. There are people that present themselves well. And there are people where maybe you've been in a position where there was somebody in your life you thought that you could take refuge in them when the storms came. When something got difficult, you thought you could go to them to take refuge. And what happened? They were totally toxic. And sometimes we see that with our young people, sometimes with our children. We have parents where children should be able to take refuge in their parents and all they do when they stand under there, things get difficult and they think that they can take refuge in their parents. And the storms come and it takes the toxins off those leaves, uh, the toxic nature of what is in the heart of a parent maybe. And it begins to damage the child. Uh, it begins to form blisters and lesions and all these things. And a child is damaged because of trying to take refuge in a place uh, where they should be able to find comfort. And we've seen this in multiple avenues in life. That sometimes I think in, in the life of, of the church we're kind of sheltered from what's actually going on with a lot of people in life. And uh, before we moved here, Jamie worked a job uh, uh, for the county. She worked for a crisis uh, place. I don't know exactly what they called it, but it was like a psychological place. If somebody had an emergency, they would call. And then if she was on call, she would have to go out to wherever it was and, uh, you know, try to deal with the situation and figure out what was the next step for them. Uh, but it is absolutely amazing that the, thing, the things that people are caught up in on a daily basis, the things that are happening to, to people, the abuse that people are, are caught in, uh, the abuse that, that people endure, the ways that people are taken advantage of, the ways that, that children are damaged because a parent is caught up in something and, uh, uh, you know, a child looks on and thinks, well, you're, you're my mother or father. I should be able to find refuge in you. And there's nothing there. There's nothing there but 
uh, but uh, toxicity or, or uh, you know, somebody that should be able to provide something of substance for them and it does nothing but damage them. What I'm saying in the church is we have to figure out how to be honest with ourselves. Because sometimes in churches, and I'm not saying here, I'm saying in general, in the church, there are people who present themselves well, but when it gets to a situation they don't like, things just start coming out. Or maybe it's not in the church. Maybe it's at home where you, you present yourself well, and everything's good when you're out in public, but when you get home, something happens you don't like, you just start speaking. And stuff just starts flowing out of you. You think nothing of ripping somebody apart. We sit in church and we praise God and we have all these things that we say and then when something happens we don't like, we think nothing. We have every, every avenue of ripping somebody apart. We have the best words that we can come up with to rip somebody down. That happens. What we're saying is Jesus is saying that His people would be a people who produce good fruit. They wouldn't be a people who are toxic. But they would be the people under whom somebody can take refuge when the storms come. They would be a people uh, that would be able to provide something of substance to to nourish somebody. That we as parents, people who are God's God's, uh, children who are parents, would be able to provide comfort and sustaining uh, provision for our children. That we would encourage them. That we would have Words that would speak life to them, not rip them down. So it is very essential then that we understand that what flows out of us is based on what we take in. That's what he's saying here. We bring the good things out of the good we have stored up in our hearts. Or we bring the toxic things out of the toxic things we have chosen to store up in our hearts. It's directly related is what he is saying here. Uh, So... The fruit of any tree is consistent with the nature of the tree, meaning that if I produce uh, bad fruit or something within me that is a little off, there's something in me that isn't reflecting Christ and His image and His character. Uh, But we are directly influenced by the things that we choose to store up within us. Now, the question is... uh, how do we understand the things that we're choosing to store up within us? Understand that to store up evil things within us, to store up uh, uh, toxic things within us, you don't have to do anything. Just be passive and you will store those things up in your heart. And let me give you this illustration because Jamie is not here and I can tell you this. That means don't tell her. <laughs> no, she's heard it before. She'll be fine. Uh, when we were we were dating, there was a. I was store. I was uh, watching Christian. She. I don't know where she was. She was working or something. But uh, the apartment she lived in, uh, the washer and dryer was in the basement, and this was not her fault. It was somewhat like this when we moved here. This is her big sticking point why she doesn't want me to tell this story. The basement was dirty before she got there. It wasn't her fault. Uh, but uh, I went down. She asked me if I could throw some, some, some clothes in the washer. And so I went down and, and uh, 
there was some lint that was on on the basement wall. If you have like block wall in your basement, and you see sometimes that like cobwebs and lint and things just kind of stick to it, right? So I was I was. My office looks way better than it did in Brookville. I want you to know that. My office was a disaster in Brookville. But if you went in my office, uh, even now you would probably not think I'm the most organized person. I'm not. Uh, but I have these moments where I get to something and I have to deal with it. I just can't take it anymore. Uh, so I was down there and I was putting the clothes in the washer and I saw that out of the corner of my eye. Like I just had that moment, something within my soul, like I have to deal with this. So I dealt with that. I cleaned that up. And then I looked down the corner of the floor and there was more along the corner. And then I swept that up and I looked over and there was a little more. And next thing I had, everything on this side of the basement was on this side of the basement so I could sweep it. And then I moved it all back so I could sweep the rest of the basement. I just couldn't deal with it. Uh, I don't know why. But uh, my point is, Nobody took that stuff down and threw up cobwebs on the wall. Nobody went down there and threw lint all over the wall. That, that stuff just accumulates. All you have to do for a basement to look like that is nothing. If you just leave it alone, if you just sit and be passive, the basement will eventually look like that again. Right? You know, it's the same with your garage. You don't have to do anything for your garage to get messy. Just leave it the way it is. And after a couple months, it'll be a mess again. Emphasizing again, it wasn't Jamie's fault. Uh, But we have to understand, first, to store up evil things, all we have to do is be passive. Francis Chen talked about it in one of his books, I think, Crazy Love, but he talked about if you step into a river and you're swimming uh, upstream, what happens the second you stop swimming? start going back down, right? There's never a moment where you're sitting right there. There's never a moment where you are perfectly stationary in a river. You're either going forward or you're starting to go back. That's exactly the way it is in our spiritual lives. That is what is essential for us to be people that would uh, provide shelter for others, provide comfort for others, to provide sustenance for others, to provide for them It takes our action in moving forward. It takes our intention. It takes us being thoughtful about what is presented before us. Number one, recognizing we do this because we have influence. My pastor in Brookville used to say this all the time. There's not one of us that doesn't have influence. There's not a person sitting in this room who doesn't have influence. Every single person here has influence. Some may have influence over more than others. Every one of us has influence. That means that somebody's looking at you. Somebody is watching what we are doing. Somebody at some point is going to go through something and hope that they can take refuge in you. It's going to happen at some point. At some point, you're going to be presented with something that you don't like and have the opportunity to just start speaking and speaking and saying things. And you have the opportunity to be like that tree that is toxic or you have the opportunity to speak words of life, as Jesus was talking about, that's what he was saying, is love your enemies. If somebody takes your tunic, give, don't try to take it back from them, just give it to them. That's what he's saying in that moment. You might not like it, it might not feel good, but I am the one that you are reflecting. I, Jesus, the one who was spit on, who was beaten, all of these things as he went to the cross, 
He could have retaliated against men, but he chose not to because he knew that there was greater glory in doing the will of the Father. That's what he is saying in all of this, that we would be people that would store up good things so when that moment of a storm comes, we would produce good fruit. Not just for others, but when the moment of the storm comes for us, we don't become people who are just complainers. People who every, everything comes crashing down because things are getting difficult. Now, I'm not telling you that there aren't moments where it's really difficult. There are sometimes we find out about a health concern. We find about, out about something that is really, really difficult and overwhelming. But the point is, in that moment, when we store up good things within us, we don't immediately jump to being toxic. It's the same as we talked about last week, that we don't, we don't begin the whole process of reaching out to the lost with the lost. That means that I start talking about God with my family. First, I'm with God myself. Then I start talking about God with my family. Then I start talking about God with the church. And my life is overwhelmed with thanksgiving that pours out of my mouth because I'm talking to everybody about the thanksgiving, that the thankfulness that I have for God and what He's done and my praise to God. And out of that, then, it's my nature because I'm immersed in it constantly. And it's the same way in our lives. We might get to a person, some, maybe ten years down the road, you get to a place where you're diagnosed with something difficult. And one of your close family members is in a car accident and they die. That's really difficult. But the point is that too many times we wait until there is a storm to start preparing for the storm. Rather than knowing this world's difficult, something's going to happen at some point. And recognizing that my, I am building myself up to be a person who will reflect God's glory, even in the most difficult of circumstances, but I can't wait until that circumstance to start thinking about reflecting God's glory. It happens now. I start storing up good things now. I start storing up good things tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And then when I get to that moment where something difficult happens, it just flows out of me because that's who I am. Because that's my nature. That is who I have become because I have stored up the things of God within my heart. Same thing as lifting weights or something like that. Nobody's going to get up and be a power weightlifter tomorrow if you never lifted weights in your life, right? It takes your conscious effort. You start one day and you start lifting things and then you add a little more and you add a little more and you get stronger and stronger and stronger. It is a lifelong process for some people who do that. Other people who do that professionally. It's a lifelong process. They don't just get up one day and decide, I'm going to do this. It's the same way in our lives as Christians. To be a person who others would look on and see the glory of God reflected in them, no matter what the circumstance, it takes our day-by-day effort. One small step here. And then another small step the next day. And then another small step the next day. But it takes our conscious pursuit of God. So we have to understand then that we also have the opportunity to store up uh, evil things. And again, we don't have to, first thing is we, all we have to do is be passive to store up evil things. Sometimes we choose to take in evil things. Sometimes we make decisions to place ourselves in 
an environment that is toxic. Sometimes we choose to turn on a TV and allow our eyes to take in things that are toxic. I understand the Bible says, I can't remember exactly where it is in the Psalms now, but it says, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. The Bible says that. I will set no wicked thing before my eyes, meaning I am conscious of the things around me, and I will not choose to take something in that shouldn't be before my eyes. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not going to be out something somewhere. Uh, here's a good example. We were at the Outer Banks a couple of years ago, and we walked in this, uh, uh, just some little shop somewhere. And uh, right at about the height of a child's eye were these kind of stickers. I think they were for your car or something. But it was of women, not something that a child should be seeing. That wasn't something we sought out. Just walked in a situation and was there. Then at that moment, I have a decision to make. What am I going to do with this? Am I going to allow this after I recognize it? Am I going to allow it to be before my eyes? Or am I going to turn my eyes away? So you have situations like that where you have to make a decision, but you also have the decisions where I have been at work a long day and I just want to sit down and watch TV. You turn something on. When we choose things like that, that is our conscious decision. There are sometimes people in churches all across America will sit here all day and they'll go home and they'll turn on something that is totally opposed to everything we talked about. I don't know how bold I can be about that, but I'm just going to say it. We will make excuses for the things that we watch. Probably 98% of what is on TV is not something that we should be setting before our eyes. There were times it took me a long time to realize that because you think of things in term in relation to other things. Oh, this this show's not as bad as all of that kind of stuff, so it's it's okay. I'm an adult, I can differentiate between some of the things that are being said or those kind of things. We have these ways of excusing things. Not understanding that I don't necessarily have to agree with what's being said, but what I am constantly filling my mind with it doesn't matter. It's being stored up. When I willingly choose to set myself before things, like sometimes I think it's even political things. I go through periods of time where I'm reading articles and I'm listening to things and I, I get to a point where I just cannot listen to it one more time. But I'm not. We need to be informed. We need to know what's going on around us. But it gets us to the point where all we do is think the world around us is coming crashing down, and everything's terrible. And this this senator and this person's terrible. All these things are going on around us are terrible, and we just complain about it. Number one, in my experience, I think we spend more time complaining about it than praying about it. But two, as we're going to talk about very soon in First Peter, it says to submit yourself to governing authorities. That means that whether I like somebody or not, they're still in a position, and the position was ordained by God. And i got to figure out a way to pray for somebody and pursue godly motives, even if I don't agree. My point was, before I got off in all of that, that we have to be very, very careful 
I have heard people make excuses. I was, was with somebody not long ago that it was an older person, and they said, you know, it's not going to hurt an older woman to watch this at this point in life. We can't make those excuses. I mean, you can, but at some point you're going to have to stand before God. And in that moment where you stand before Him, do you think, how many, how many people think that you're going to stand before God and think, man, I wish I would have watched this TV show one more time. Wish I would have had time to do this or that one more time. I wish I would have taken in this movie. I, I, I regret that I missed this movie in life. Or man, I wish I could get on Facebook one more time. I won't say anything about Facebook. Listen, my point in this is again, it's not to it's not to just hammer Christians about you don't do this and don't do this and don't do this. My point is we we call ourselves the people of God and we have the creator of all things. We go out here and we see the hills and the trees and this beautiful landscape and we sit out at night and we see the stars and the God that created all of those things dwells so far beyond us we never had any business approaching Him. But through Christ, God's decision in Christ, we have the opportunity to commune with Him. If we have that opportunity, why would we ever choose store up evil things of the world. See, it's not a matter of don't do this because you can't as a Christian. It's I don't want to do this because I have the opportunity to pursue God. Why, why would I want that? It's not a matter. None of this is Christian, and in Christianity is a matter of you can't, you can't, you can't. It's a matter of I shouldn't, but I don't want to because I love God. This is a drastically different thing. If Christianity for you is just about, I can't, I can't, I can't, you can be sure your heart is not in the right place with God. Absolutely there are things we can't do, but it's motivated out of my love and desire for God. We have to understand that. If you you don't have that desire within you to love God and to be with Him and to know Him, above the things of the world, that should be your first thing that you start praying for. See, God, that you would make this Christian faith not to me a list of things I can't do, but that I would have no desire for anything because I desire you so much. Because I desire you above all things. Now, I want to, briefly as we, as we begin, begin uh, moving towards closing, that could still mean another 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, in that, we have to, in all of this, we have to be allow God to be the one who is the standard by which we judge what is good and evil as far as the things we store up. That means, again, when we sit down and turn on our TV, it's not a matter of me thinking, well, this isn't as bad as this is, so it's, it's probably okay. It is, in the eyes of God, is this considered a vile thing? Is this considered a wicked thing? Is this a profane thing? In the eyes of God, it doesn't matter what I think. That doesn't matter at all. 
It's in the eyes of God. He is the standard. He is the one by, by whom we look to see uh, what is acceptable or not. We allow Him to be the judge of those things. Again, motivated because I love God and I want the things of God. So I want Him then to tell me if this is okay. But the Spirit of God, if we allow Him, will come in our hearts and reveal to us the things within us that need to change. You see, we have the Word of God that that, uh, gives us, reveals to us the mind of God. All that He is, is revealed to us in His Word. The way that He interacts with humans, the way that He wants us to interact with Him, it is all revealed in His Word. As we take it in, then the Spirit of God comes and makes the Word of God living and active within our hearts. He illuminates the Word within our hearts. It's not just words on a page that we read when we have the Spirit of God active in our lives. He illuminates it and makes it alive within us. And He begins to reveal certain things within us. The psalmist wrote in uh, Psalm 139, he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You see, that is motivated by a desire to love God. When you can go before God and say, Search me and see if there is anything wicked in me. See if there's anything, God, in me that I have stored up over the years that is evil. When you start reacting to people, when words start coming out of your mouth that aren't speaking life to people, but it's ripping somebody down, there's something that you've stored up somewhere within you. Something that needs to be transformed. And going to God and saying, look, I'm, I'm recognized in these moments where I'm under stress or whatever it is, I just start talking. And things come out that are not of you. What is it within me? Will you search me and show me whatever it is? And when you show me, I will do whatever it takes to move beyond that. Because the Spirit of God will search us. When I was in Brookville, uh, we over the years we really worked over the sound system and all those things and got... You know, new soundboard, new speakers, and all of those kind of things. And uh, once we kind of got everything in place, we had this thing. It's called an analyzer microphone. So it's a very small, thin microphone. And the purpose of that is if you set up a sound system in, in this room, it sounds a certain way. You could take the same exact sound system to a different room. It sounds different. You might not change any of any of the dials, anything. It sounds totally different. The reason for that is because of the contents of the room, because of the layout of the room, because of the ceilings, the ways the walls are laid out. If it has carpet, if it doesn't have carpet, if it has uh, benches with uh, fabric on them, if it doesn't. I've heard um, professional audio engineers talking about uh, mixing live bands like in arenas. And they said there's a drastic difference in the summer as opposed to the winter because people were wearing long sleeves as opposed to short sleeves. That's how big of a difference it makes, uh, the materials in a room. But the point is, what you go for when you're an audio engineer and you set up a sound system in a room is you want to analyze the room and set the dials so that the frequency response is zero. 
Meaning no frequency is responding and bouncing around more so than another frequency. So if I go in a certain room and I set up a sound system and I start playing a song, you can hear, if your ears are trained to that, you can hear there are certain sections of the frequency spectrum that are out of balance. So I need to go here and cut this so it sounds okay. You see, most of the time in a room, it's not necessarily that the sound is too loud. Sometimes there are just very small certain frequencies that are out of balance that are piercing to our ears. If you find that specific frequency and cut it, everything sounds just fine. Uh, so what we did in the room is we have this analyzer mic, and we would go in and we'd set it over here about halfway back. And then we'd set it over here halfway back and then do the same thing a little farther back on both sides. And it analyzes the room, and it tells you what frequencies are, are registering more than others. It gives you a reading of how the frequencies are bouncing around in the room. So then you take uh, your equalizer and you start to mess with the knobs to try to get a flat response. You don't know what an equalizer is in most of the older vehicles. You would see like a low, mid, and highs, a little little faders or just bass and treble, maybe little faders on your radio. But this would be like a 30-band equalizer. Uh, so I would go in there and you would see maybe like 1.5, uh, 1,500 is too high. It's very piercing to your ears. So that's bouncing around in the room. So I'm going to go on my equalizer. I'm going to cut that so it gets to an acceptable level. My long story in telling you that is to tell you that that is exactly sometimes how the Spirit of God works in our lives. See, there are things within us, within our own nature, within our hearts, that are irritating to God, maybe. or irritating to the people around us. So God comes in and he searches your heart and he says, hey, this, this frequency right here, this what you're doing right here, you need to cut that a little bit. So it's at an acceptable level. Or this, this low end is kind of rumbling in the room, you need to pull that down a little bit. So the Spirit of God is coming in and he's searching our hearts to search for those things within us that are creating dissonance or creating distortion in uh, just throwing things off. But the thing is, we have to be there. We have to go to that place. Number one, recognizing that our heart needs tuning. The worship team can come up. I love that uh, old hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. It says, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. And you think of God the same way we would tune a room but going into your heart and beginning to set up the process of tuning your heart to sing of His grace, to reflect His grace, to be able to glorify Him, that He would tune us. You understand it's sometimes the same as tuning a piano. Have you ever seen somebody tune a piano? They get in there and they start twisting the little bolts and all the things that the strings are connected to, and they're tightening and they're loosening and there's tension. It's a difficult process for us sometimes when we allow the Spirit of God to tune our hearts because He gets in there and He starts working on things, He starts twisting things, and He starts revealing things to us that get difficult for us. But in that, if we will allow Him, 
God will create us to be something we never could have been on our own. He will give us greater and greater freedom than we would have ever had on our own. This is the last thing I'll say. I promise. The Bible says in uh, Romans chapter 6, it says to commit yourself to God as instruments of righteousness. That I would set myself before him, Him as an instrument to be used for His purposes and His righteousness. I think it's around 6.13 or something in Romans. Uh, but when I was in college, I played drums for... Uh, there was a church on campus. And uh, I was close with the guy that was a worship leader of that church. So there was times I, I would have access and I went in there and just kind of use the instruments whenever there weren't people there sometimes. But they had a full grand piano. Have you ever seen a full grand piano? It's one of the pianos where it's like you're standing here sitting down at the bench and the end of it is over by the wall. Not that far really, but it feels like it when you're sitting there. Uh, and uh, that piano was a beautiful instrument. It was an absolutely amazing instrument. You realize it could do nothing on its own. It just sat there. The same as this one. It just sits there. It doesn't do anything. Rachel's guitar just sits there. It can't do anything itself. You see, at some point, you have Joyce comes up here. What's she do? She sits down at the piano and begins to play and creates beautiful music through that instrument. Or Rachel or Rochelle or whoever picks up their instrument and they start playing and create the music through the instrument. So what he's saying there is commit yourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. That I would be that. That I would sit there for Him to sit down and accomplish His purposes through me. That I would be the instrument. I would provide myself as the vessel for God to sit down and create His music through me. Meaning that I, whatever it is that God has called you to in life, what He calls you to, number one is to reflect His glory, just to be an instrument. I, I make myself a vessel for Him to sit down at that piano bench and start working through me. And He does something more than we ever could have imagined. If you've ever heard somebody sit down like a, a concert pianist or, or in the symphonies and things and they're playing a cello or violin or a piano, whatever it is, and they're doing something and you think, how can a human even do that? That's exactly what God does. He takes us as we commit ourselves to Him as an instrument and creates something through us that is immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. So my point in all of this today is we choose to take things in on a daily basis. We choose to either take in things that allow us to be in reflecting the glory of God, or we take in things that hinder us from reflecting the glory of God, and not only that, but are toxic to the people around us. I commit myself to God as an instrument of righteousness, and when I do that, my commitment also is that I am careful about the things I take in. And I allow the Spirit of God to tune my heart to reflect His glory.
So as we close today, there are a lot of questions you can ask yourself. A lot of things. Uh, The first thing is searching yourself and what are the words that come out of my mouth? When you're stressed out, what are the words that come out? Are you somebody under whom somebody can take refuge? Are you like the mansion eel tree where somebody takes refuge and the storm comes and it takes up all those toxic materials and places them on the skin of the person below you? Are we an instrument of righteousness? God wants to do something through you that you'd never even imagine. But it takes us committing ourselves to be an instrument before Him. God, we thank You today for Your Word and all the things that are revealed in Your Word. We thank You that You are a God who desires to work in our hearts and not to leave us as we are. But Father, You help us uh, through Your Spirit to reflect Your glory in ways that we never could have imagined. Father, help us to be people that would commit ourselves to You as instruments of righteousness and allow You to be the one who does the work then through us, accomplish Your purposes through us. Help us to be vigilant in our understanding and and, uh, pursuit of the things that we should be taking in, vigilant of the the things that we take in that maybe uh, hinder us from walking with You. Father, help us to, to always be in search of the things that bring life through Your Spirit and to store those things up within us. Father, we love you and we glorify you today. It's your name we pray. Amen.